The following podcast conversation with the renowned human rights figure Natan Sharansky was recorded before the events of the 7th of October. So keep that in mind uh, while you're listening uh, to the conversation. We live in an interconnected world where the questions are complex, and so we have babble undone. And it exists to have a conversation about issues of interest to all of us or um, maybe things that make you a little little curious. I'm Johnny Moore. I'm the co-host alongside Archbishop Joseph D'Souza. I'm an American evangelical leader. He leads the Good Shepherd Movement and the All India Christian Council. He comes from the East. I come from the West. So naturally, we meet in London. Anti-Semitism, Johnny. That's our topic today. Last year in the United States and in the United Kingdom, anti-Semitic incidents hit a record high. Anti-Jewish racism and hatred is an issue that ought to concern every Christian and others, not only because of the history of Christian anti-Semitism, because there would be no Christian faith without the Hebrew Bible. Every Christian owes a debt of gratitude to the Jewish community for our shared values, and the least we can do is stand for them when they are targeted. That's that's so true, Bishop, and I, I can't imagine uh, a better a better guest uh, than the one we, we have today for our conversation. He is one of the world's leading experts on anti-Semitism. During his nine years in prison in the Soviet Union, Natan Sharansky became the global face of a movement for democracy and human rights, uh, the freedom of Soviet Jews. He's been an unrelenting global advocate, and it was the advocacy of others all over the world that led to his own release and his, his eventual immigration to, to Israel. As an American, I, I, I think um, Natan is interesting because he's the first non-American to receive both the Congressional Medal of Honor and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He's invested, like you, Bishop, his entire life in advocating for human rights. He's an icon, an inspiration to millions um, so it's a pleasure to welcome uh, Natan Sharansky. He's the chairman of the board of the Combat Anti-Semitism Movement. You know, our, our audience is going to be is global. People from Africa, India, Asia, everywhere are, are going to be uh, listening to this and uh, um, wanting to know. They don't know much about you. What would be your story you'd like to tell them? Uh, who is Natan uh, Sharansky. <laughs> Thank you. So I spent nine years in Soviet prison and I spent nine years in Israeli government. Uh, it's uh, difficult to say what is more challenging, uh, <laughs> but uh, what's important to know is that there was such a country, Soviet Union, which controlled the lives and brains of 200 million people. It was a ruthless dictatorship which killed tens of millions of its own people to have full control over their minds and their lives. And it was closed by iron curtain from all the world, meaning that there was no free movement, not only of the people, of the information. And uh, I became one of the so-called dissidents, uh, people who were fighting for the human rights of the people. And specifically, I was fighting for the rights of Soviet Jews to live as Jews and to immigrate to Israel if they want. The thing is that I grew as absolutely assimilated Soviet Jew who had absolutely no knowledge about our 
our origin, our history, our language, our religion. That was the policy of the Soviet Union to deprive people of their identity. And I became, with the time, the spokesman of these two movements, uh, Jewish movement and human rights movement. And then was arrested and sent to prison where I could probably spend all my life, but the massive campaign of the free people of the world, of the uh, Jewish people, a campaign led by my wife, whom I didn't see for 12 years. And in the end, I became the first political prisoner released when the new leadership of uh, Mikhail Gorbachev wow. came to power. It's amazing. Um, how would you how would you describe what is anti-Semitism today, Nathan? Well, uh, first of all, it's the oldest hatred. We can uh, read about the hatred towards Jews and persecution of Jews uh, in Rome, in Greece, in Egypt, uh, in the thousands and thousands of years ago, and of course the then. Uh, in the first centuries of Christianity when uh, there was a replacement theory that now Judaism has to be replaced uh, by Christianity and later racial theories which of course the German in, in Nazi Germany was the most powerful killing of six million Jews only for being Jewish uh, because they were of the um, of the race which should be erased from the humanity. This is the path of anti-Semitism, not speaking about many pogroms, uh, uh, prohibition, for example, in England that you are now saying, for hundreds of years it was prohibited for Jews uh, to enter England. So it's the oldest hatred, and the reason is that the people needed to hate the other. And Jews always were like the other, whether uh, in Christian Europe uh, or before uh, in the uh, before Christianity when it was the only mono religion, religion which believes in one God and uh, which was not ready to compromise with the gods of uh, uh, Greece or Rome and was not ready to uh, put these gods into their own uh, uh, temples and so the result was persecution of the other, demonization of the Jews then, and unfortunately, it comes back in different forms today. Are you, Natan, are you surprised by the rise in anti-Semitism? When, when you hear in the last couple of years, we've seen more anti-Semitism in the United States and in the United Kingdom and in other places uh, since, you know, we in, in modern recording of anti-Semitism. Is that a shock to you? Did you, you think we were beyond this? Uh, or, you well, frankly speaking, I was surprised. Not in the last two years, but I would say in the last 20 years. Because after the Soviet Union, I came to where the anti-Semitism was very deep. And all my childhood, we, uh, uh, I met anti-Semitism in the street and anti-Semitism as part of the discrimination by the government. But... Uh, I did believe that that's part of this totalitarian regime, which needs, by definition, totalitarian regime needs scapegoats, needs enemies that they can unite people in the fight against this external and internal enemy. 
they didn't have better external internal enemy than Jews and Israel. So I believed that the, uh, the thing of the past, now that we defeated communism, iron curtain fell, people are free, uh, practically in, the, in those places where I grew, after the fall of the iron curtain, there was no anti-Semitism. And then suddenly to see the same signs and attempts to demonize Jews or Jewish state, to apply very different standards to Jews than to the other people, uh, to deny legitimacy of Jewish religion or the legitimacy of Jewish state, that was a surprise to me. And uh, what's unfortunate is that today it, it can be watched on the rise, on the left and on the right, in Europe and in the Islamic world. And that's something to, to deal with urgently, yeah. Um, it seems like the, there's this uh, big conversation about whether anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Uh, would love, love to get your point of view on, on how you hear that conversation and, uh, and is anti-Zionism anti-Semitism? I'll tell you, uh, uh, this question first rise for me at the so-called Durban Conference in 2000, the first United Nations Conference on racism, which was prepared for a few years. And of course, it was very important for the first global conference against racism. Uh, and then somehow it turned into the conference where they emerged only one racist state, and that is Israel, and one uh, new apartheid state, and that is Israel. And of course, that was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, uh, you don't have to live in Israel, uh, uh, or if you live in Israel, you know how absurd it is uh, to, to accuse Israel of apartheid. And I was international observer on the first elections in South Africa. I, wa I was friend of uh, Mandela, Nelson Mandela, so I knew very well what is apartheid. So I started dealing with questions more seriously, and when I was saying, but that's a new type of anti-Semitism. I was told, no, no, that's criticism of Israel. And then I came with my own definition. I said, look, anti-Semites for thousands of years, we are using 3D principle, demonization, delegitimization, and double standard to Jews. So I propose all the criticism of Israel has the right to be a criticism about America, Britain, uh, every country, the most free country, should be scrutinized by criticism, of course. But the moment it is clear demonization, like for example, the one leader said, I was in the refugee camps of Palestinians, that is Auschwitz of today. No, I was many times in uh, these camps, and I think it's worth discussing why the first, fifth generation of Palestinians uh, lives in these refugee camps. That's a shame, and I can argue and debate why it has happened so, but what it has to do with Auschwitz. Everybody who heard about Auschwitz, not saying about being in Auschwitz, knows that it has nothing to do. That's clear demonization. Uh, and uh, a clear double standard when Israel is accused uh, uh, by special resolutions of United Nations in violation of human rights, more than all the dictators in the world together, there must, and uh, all the time there are some explanations. But there must be a really different standard. You cannot accuse Israel 
in violation of human rights more than Iran, Syria, China together. So there is a delegitimization and double standard. So I would say uh, theoretically to have views against Zionism. Zionism is the, the national liberation movement of Jewish people. But theoretically everybody can have these views. But the moment you apply it as a part of demonization of Jewish people, or part of delegitimization of our right to have our state, uh, but a clear double standard which you're not applying neither to America nor to Iran, then yes, that is anti-Semitic. Uh, Nathan, do you do you sense? Uh, I mean, I, we we follow what's going on in the UN and this uh, collective, uh, you know, marginalization and targeting of Israel when it comes to, as you rightly say, a human rights issue. It's like. Do you feel there is any progress uh, within uh, with the UN, with uh, with uh, what your government, you, many others are doing? Is there a change? Is there some uh, some progress uh, to stop this demonization of Israel? There are countries who understand that it starts from Jews but doesn't finish with Jews. Like now we have some countries in the Middle East who understand that uh, uh, anti-Semitic or anti-Zionist policy is not uh, in their interests, uh, I met with some leaders of Bahrain who signed special resolution that they are fighting against uh, anti-Semitism on the basis of international definition of anti-Semitism. So I asked them, do you realize that you just now took obligation to fight uh, uh, to defend Israel? They said, of course, if you really want to build real peace in the Middle East, we need Israel. Why should we be demonizing Israel. So, yes, there are some progress. On the other hand, uh, you see that uh, each time when uh, the free world or United Nations are afraid to argue with some dictatorships, they are ready to give up uh, on this, as, for example, all the agreements with Iran, which is that none of them is, is linking the agreements, even some agreements which give them access to billions and billions of dollars, it's never li- linked to their propaganda against the existence of Israel and their terrorist a- attacks uh, against Israel. You know, it's interesting on Iran, uh, Bishop, um, you know, we know so many uh, evangelicals uh, in Iran um, who uh, have been so viciously persecuted um, by the by the Iranian regime. And it uh, almost no community in the world other than the Jewish community um, knows as direct. I mean, I, I remember as a kid in my church hearing about the persecuted Christians of of Iran, and you you would think that the evangelical community, you know, hundreds of millions of us around the world, um, would be putting more pressure on all of our governments, uh, and particularly in the United States where we're playing this game. Um, uh, I mean, literally, the uh, the National Security Advisor. Um, in, in, in the U.S. Uh, recently said, it's going to be okay because Iran said that they would do it. They've agreed to this. <laughs> it goes back to the uh, uh, times of President Obama, when you remember in 2009, there was a real revolution in Iran. And I had a number of friends among Iranian Muslims who were uh, dissidents, who believed in fighting for freedom. And then American president, just at the moment when they were waiting for the word of support for American president, like we in Soviet Union got this word of support for President Reagan, 
So just at the time, President Obama said that uh, engagement with the regime is more important than the replacing of the regime. Then I called to his uh, advisor and said that I believe it is the biggest betrayal of the free world since Munich. How, how America, he was not asked to send weapons. He, the millions of people are on their way uh, to barricades. And at this moment, the leader of the free world says, in fact, stop, wait, we prefer to have a dialogue and an engagement with this regime. That was awful. So, yeah, well, uh, but in order not to be one-sided, you are right about uh, evangelists uh, being silent, uh, silenced on Iran. What about Muslim people who are silenced on the fate of Uyghurs in China? That's awful, unbelievable. The whole people are kept in concentration camp, and they're Muslims. And compare how many times uh, Muslim world condemned Israel uh, for Palestinians. All Palestinians are practically in all the universities, doctors, and of course they're not kept in concentration. And what Muslim world was saying about Uyghurs, their own people who are tortured and killed and their organs are taken from them in order to sell them. Awful things are happening. And uh, in the end, who's fighting about their fate? Jews and Christians. But I, I want Muslims to fight for the rights of Muslim people in China. Yeah, and you can't, uh, and the reason why we brought up Iran is, um, you know, Iran is the leading sponsor of anti-Semitism, you know, yeah. around the world. So yeah. you, 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 and we have these conversations yeah. from the East and the West. I mean, we have lots of anti-Semitism in the United States, the United Kingdom, um, and then you also have uh, have its have its yeah. eastern forms. Except for those eastern forms, have have uh, have yeah. missiles. Um, I, uh, uh, as an aside, unfortunately, you know, uh, American universities and some Euro- European universities are now the place uh, uh, launchpad from some anti-Semitic uh, and anti-Zionist movements like BDS boycotting Israel, and unfortunately, the centers of liberalism are becoming the centers for amplifying the slogans of the terrorists. Uh, Nathan, uh, just as an aside, uh, are, you, uh, are you glad, encouraged uh, that India as a major power is more engaged now with Israel and is seen as a friend of Israel? Look, uh, first of all, I, I always glad when uh, Israel can have more dialogue and more interaction, especially with such powers as India or China and so on. On the other hand, I always believed and believe that in all the international dialogue, the question of human rights has also must have place. I remember when I was the minister in Israeli government and as a minister of industry, I had to meet with vice president of China and uh, I was briefed by our foreign minister, and I said, what about political prisoners in China? Oh, we are not talking about it. So during our meeting, I did talk about it, because I said I, I myself was in Soviet prison. I was released only because of the criticism from abroad. So I'm asking you, what about your political prison? Doesn't matter what he answered. But after this, our foreign minister did everything that I will not have any context with the high leaders in China. I think it's... Uh, obligation of every country of the free world, and America, Britain, and Israel, in all our relations to raise the question 
about human rights. And you know probably better than I that India does have some problems with the human rights. So um, whether it's in our local communities, our churches, or with governments around the world, how do we make the, uh, the situation with anti-Semitism better? You know, what are practical things that we can do to make a difference? First of all, it's very important to understand that anti-Semitism always starts with Jews, but never finishes with Jews. Never. It always then is big threat to free society in general and to specifically groups who insist on their identity. And I have to say, in Soviet prison, my closest friends were Christian activists, uh, uh, whether it is Pentecostals, whether it is Russian Orthodox Church, but it doesn't matter. All those who had very strong uh, identity, uh, they were enemies of KGB. And I knew that I can rely on my Christian friends who believe in God because they uh, that they will not be informers of KGB exactly they relied on me because the moment you have uh, you have believed that in the image of God created a man the moment you have high authority than KGB uh, you stand strong so I think that this partnership of people who believe that in the image of uh, God created the man is very important and that's why it is very important to broaden this struggle against anti-Semitism and to include as many people, as many believers in in in, 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 uh, in the creation by God's image as possible. And that's why, yes, of course, evangelical Christians are very natural, I would say, partners in this struggle. Thank you. Um, Nathan, you live in Israel and you work from Israel. Uh, what's one or two things you'd want everyone in the world to know about Israel? First of all, uh, about Zionism, this uh, national movement of Jewish people, it's not aggression against anybody. It's desire to uh, go back after thousands of years of exiles to their home, that Jerusalem was existed 3,000 years, exists the city, it was under the uh, occupation of many, many nations. It never was the capital of any country, but ancient uh, Israel and modern Israel. And every Jew in the world for 1,000 years is praying for being in uh, Jerusalem. Ethiopian Jews who for 2,500 2, years were absolutely isolated from us. When I came with the airplane to bring some of them, the only word which connected us was Jerusalem, because every day they are praying for Jerusalem. So finally here in Israel, we are accomplishing thousands of years of dreams and of uh, prayers. And it's not directed against any people, Muslim or Christians, uh, to the contrary. It's desire together, that we together will live in accordance with our identity. Second, I want to know that with all these demonstrations, debates, and we have very hot and vibrant democracy. It's very free country. Nathan, this uh, thing that you referred right at the beginning, where uh, Christians got um, into this whole replacement ideology, I, I, I'm sure you know now that there are large sections of Christians around the world who felt and who feel that was a mistake. 
we are a continuation uh, of the Bible and Genesis. And you have referred to being made, we are all God's image bearers, no matter what faith we are. So there is a strong connect than ever before with the nation of Israel and the Christians around the world. Yeah, well, first of all, yes, I started first, as I said, in prison. Here I always have my psalm book from prison. <laughs> I was reading this. I fought a lot, uh, hundreds of days for the, uh, on hunger strikes to have it with me. And when I had it with me, and there was another Christian friend, uh, a different Polish Orthodox uh, Christian, who also was fighting for his Bible. And when for a few weeks that we both had it together in our cell, we were reading a little bit from Bible and a little from Psalm book. And uh, it was very clear to all of us that in fact we have one God. We are not debating who is the first and who is the second. It's clear that the dreams and the prayers go to the same uh, place. And then, of course, uh, when I was released and I discovered a lot of uh, friends among uh, Christians, especially among evangelical Christians, but not only, but yes, evangelical Christians. And I don't know, Pentecostals are the part of evangelical Yes, Christians. yes, yeah, yeah they're part of So I, I was fighting for their rights as a human rights uh, activist in the Soviet Union when I was arrested. 10,000 Pentecostals in Soviet Union were fasting in solidarity or protesting against my arrest. And so I was very glad to see that finally this persecution finished after the Iron Curtain uh, uh, fell. And as I said, in all these battles, I always felt that we have a lot of common. If not in the past, definitely in the future. And uh, Natan, we're so grateful you spent this uh, this time with us. Um, you are uh, an icon, uh, but you're an icon uh, because you're a moral compass uh, for all of us. And your story is not only an inspiration, um, uh, it is a motivation for all of us to do a little more, uh, to keep our own moral compass right, to speak up for those who are in need, to stand up for the truth, however popular or unpopular it is. Um, and you've educated us here in our audience. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of, lot of different people who join us for these conversations. Very, very influential political leaders, um, uh, people who just uh, um, pray every day for Israel, for the Jewish people, wherever they are. Um, young people that are trying to figure out what to do with their, what to do with their lives. And you've given each and every one of these um, friends of ours that join these conversations uh, from their living rooms or their cars or their or their iPhones, uh, a lot to think about. So thank thank you very very much for for all you've said, uh, but for the way you've invested uh, your life. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's great to have friends uh, all over. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Nathan. Wow, uh, Bishop D'Souza. I mean, <laughs> what a man! Yeah, and, and these are the types of people that. Um, literally change history and and there are a lot of things that stood out in that conversation to me i was like taking notes over here but um what stood out to you you know amazing uh when you look at the problems of today and some of them look very insurmountable etc but here is a living example of one individual standing against the might of a state and 
you know, and willing to suffer uh, and go into prison. You know, it just so happens in the last couple of days I've reading, I'm reading something about Bonifer and, uh, and how if they persist and they resist and they raise their voice and then there is a global coming together, things can change. And I'm not sure a lot of people in my generation uh, understand what the Soviet Union was and the the decision he made, you know, to, what you said, I mean, to stand against that. Like, what what was what was the Soviet Union at that time in history? 1977 is when he went into prison. He was in prison until um, about 1986. I mean, it was a world superpower. I mean, the only competitor was uh, was U.S. And so there were two superpowers, and they had total control over a massive land mass and it was a totalitarian state with no democracy no freedom of speech and as he said it was the iron curtain and so nobody knew what was going on inside the outside world did not hear about and so things were smuggled out etc and he must have felt so lonely he would have not known the world community and their support or anything so in the face of that and and for me you know it comes clear that it is his uh, hebrew heritage, his belief in the God of the Bible, and the faith that allowed him, because he talks about, you know, we have suffered because we would not become the woke crowd, and we would stay, stay true to, to our faith. And, uh, and I think that led him to, to, uh, to take the stand he took. And I mean, some of the language he used is, is, is our language today. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that stood out to me was when he said, um, that the 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 Christians that were in prison with him, he knew they could not possibly be Soviet informants because of their values. Yes, right. And in the Soviet Union, you know, this was part of the dynamic. Like you 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 had relatives that were informants. Your employer was an informant. You didn't know who you could trust, and they kept these massive dossiers on everyone. And yet, this was a part of like everyday life. You had to live your life knowing that someone was informing it and it was a mass and, and but he he just believed like if this person was a believing christian you know if they had these values inside of them then they were probably not almost certainly not an informant because of it, it, he also didn't hesitate in his own moral compass i mean when you asked him um uh questions about uh, uh you know about china about india all of these things. I mean, it was just very clear. You know, he 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 knows what he he knows what he stands for. He's not ashamed of it. He's uh, you know, th- this was um, this was a conversation. I'll, I'll you know what I'll also remember, Bishop, when he reached inside his pocket and removed the yeah. The I mean, people listening. You know, they people aren't watching us here, but but he literally, I mean, he literally reached inside the pocket of his shirt and he pulled out the very psalm book he that, had with him in prison. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to see uh, the book of Psalms. And that's the book that we all can, we all go to for 2,000 years and more for all our human concerns. It's unbelievable. And of course, with the specter today of totalitarian regimes rising up and rise of fascism and nobody tolerating, tolerating free speech, etc., a man like this uh, needs to be heard more and and anything we can do to to bring such figures to the fore 
is a great thing for the Babel Undone podcast. Just what we are about. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this was this was your goal. It was the goal of goal of premiere to take these um, incredibly complex times we're living in. These very deep, complex discussions. This one was about anti-Semitism, but there was so much more. more. Yeah. And uh, when he mentioned the Durban conference, a conference on racism uh, that was corrupted into a conference um, against Israel. Against I remember Israel. that. I remember that because that was the first conference conference that a number of us, a lot of us, organized the first batch of Dalit leaders, untouchables, ever to go. And they raised their voice there for the first time in the UN. Uh, so I remember that conference very, very clearly. And, and imagine what would have happened if the energy would have gone towards advocating for uh, the Dalits or for other other issues. But instead, it, you know, the conference was totally hijacked by those who, who wake up every day hating Israel. And I and as a Christian, I mean, I have to I have to believe that there's something spiritual about that as well. You know, it, yeah, it's coming from the right. It's coming from the left. It's political. It's happening all over the world. Um, but uh, I, I, th- I think the enemy really our spiritual enemy hates the jewish people and as we're closer to god uh we get closer to uh to them and i i personally am not at all uh, comfortable with to whitewash what happened in the holocaust and to make it as if it never happened and a distant what the holocaust compared to what is going on everybody talks about you know say this is this is Hitler, and this is no, 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 no. That that was, that was a most horrible moment in human history when humans were were just treated and killed and butchered, and that was that was evil of such a nature. We should never, you know, underplay it, keep it where it is, and then allow that to inform us. If you don't inform us, that thing, that kind of thing, can happen again. Yeah, it's a it's a singular evil in history, and we also need to learn all of our history. I mean, I, um, you know, I I, I love uh, I love the United Kingdom, and I I, I remember being in Oxford uh, not long ago, and I'm I'm walking down the streets with my wife, and I see a uh, a passing placard on the ground, and it's uh, a placard for the memory of uh, when all the Jews were expelled. And it's just a placard on the ground, right? It's just, you, you almost miss it if you're not paying attention to it. And we owe it to future generations to make sure they know about the evils of the past so that they uh, will not be predicted. It's one of the reasons why I, I love your, your work so much, Bishop, all over the world. Uh, for your, your entire ministry, you've been a, um, an unrelenting advocate for, uh, for civil rights, for religious freedom, for human rights, all of these things. And, uh, I, I, as I listened to Natan Sharansky talk uh, today, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, 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 I felt the kindred spirits between uh, your mission and his life mission, and that's why we have these conversations together. Thank you for joining us today for Babel Undone. If this conversation had you thinking, then why don't you share it with someone else? For more episodes of Babel Undone or other amazing content that helps Christians live out their faith, you should head over to premiere.plus. That's premiere, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, uh, for the Americans listening in, dot plus. <laughs>